1: Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: I'm in town to play the
2: Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up,
1: Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, April the 16th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are joined by my former podcast co-host, Kevin Dern. Together, we are going to talk about all the Dolphins' defensive draft strategies as we try to get this ship righted under Brian Flores and the staff that he has assembled. Front seven and secondary options. Changes to the scheme as described by Kevin himself all of that, and plenty more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Follow me on Twitter, at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown fins You can find all of my written work, as well as the rest of the team, up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the LockedOn Network. And, of course, the other LockedOn Sports family of podcasts, like the LockedOn NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast, for all the coverage of the 2019 NFL Draft now, just nine days away. I don't want to waste any more time and get Kevin on the show. Let's go ahead and jump back in. That's And just a quick prelude, let's not waste any time and go ahead and get to that interview with Kevin Dern. Okay, and joining the podcast now is my former podcast co-host of the Analysis podcast way back in the Perfectville days. He's a writer for us at LockedOnDolphins.com. You can find his two most recent pieces on the Dolphins draft up on LOD.com as he broke down his draft preview, preview rather, into two pieces, one on the front seven and one on the secondary. He is at KevinMD4 on Twitter. Kevin, it's been about a year since we did this. What's going on, man?
0: I know it's been a while. Um, just uh, wasn't, was not enjoying the Masters until uh, one of the golfers in my pool uh, dropped off the pace and excited to watch what uh, Tiger does the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, it's funny what gambling does to sports is it can make you basically hate whatever sport you're watching if it's not going your way, or it can make you just love the sport even more if it's going your I way. <laughs> but but speaking about sports, man, we got to talk about this baseball scene right now because my Mariners, even though they're crapping down their legs with the Astros series right now, are still 13-4. <laughs> But what's going on with the Cincinnati Reds, man? You guys are struggling.
0: Yeah, a bit of a slow start, although they've won they've won four in a row, so they're not too far behind Milwaukee. Um, they've had some weird injuries, like Alex Wood hasn't pitched yet this year. Nick Senzel, who's their top prospect, um, they sent him down to minor league camp and then he got hurt. Uh Scooter Jeanette probably won't be back until June or so. So if they can hang with it, I'm hopeful that over the summer they can they can make some moves. But uh, you know, right now they're they're kind of climbing out of that one and eight start.
1: Well, I hope so, because I think baseball's better when the Reds are good just because it's such a good baseball town. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about some football and particularly the Dolphins defensive draft strategy coming up in what is just now nine days away from this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And I wanted to ask you because this is something that I see a lot on Twitter or maybe some disconnect between fans and film watchers. The biggest differences in the scheme from the previous regime under Matt Burke and even Vance Joseph up until now with what we assume we're going to see with Brian Flores and Patrick Graham and specifically the way they attack gaps or maybe even just the pre-snap alignment where they put bodies in gaps to help with the run defense. What's your take on that and how much of a difference is it going to be from previous
0: regimes? Yeah, there's going to be quite a bit of uh, change in terms of the front seven. Um, I saw someone on on Twitter kind of equate the Patriots' defense to sort of a deconstructed 3-4, and I think that's a pretty good analogy with it because you are going to see, depending on the formation, some guys doing some two-gapping stuff. You'll still see guys out in the wide nine techniques when they do some of their third-down stuff within the Patriots' defense. But as a whole, I think it's really more focused on providing opportunities for the defensive linemen to free up the linebackers rather than having each person, you know, assign a specific gap on a given play. I think it's going to help the linebackers kind of, you know, stay unblocked. And it also provides the opportunity for you to get more defensive backs on the field with that athleticism. And a lot of the, one of the big things that kind of surprised me when I did that, that Patriots defensive piece about a month ago was how much they used Patrick Chung as an edge defender yeah. against, especially against the run. So that's a huge difference compared to where you know Matt Burke was basically just relying on the defensive ends to kind of you know set the tone of the defense and, and kind of play out from there.
1: Yeah, there was a, a play that I took a look at where Patrick Chung. I think it was Dante Hightower strip sack in the Super Bowl. And Patrick Chung came down inside of the defensive edge rusher in High Tower and played that nasty split as I think it was a tight end came in down close and condensed into the line of scrimmage, and he was actually inside the edge rusher, so definitely a unique look there. But before we change gears here and get into your pieces up on LOD.com, I want to ask you about who I think is maybe the most divisive figure on this podcast between me and the listeners of the podcast. You talk about how the defense will free up linebackers to stay off blocks. Where does that put Kiko Alonso in 2019? Does he have a chance to maybe get back to some of his previous years where he was a better player? Because for me, Kevin, I still just don't see what people are enamored about with number 47.
0: Yeah, I'm on the fence with him as well. Um, I think the defense, you know, one of the things with the Patriots is even though the, most of the, the plays that they have, there's two linebackers on the field, or even in some of the cases where there's three, one of them is basically playing as a defensive end. So it's really like only two true linebackers are on the field, but I could see Kiko Alonso carving out kind of a niche um, in this defense, whether you want to do that with someone who's making as much money as he is, uh, is another matter at the same time with some of the guys that they've been interested in, in the draft, I've been keeping track of my own big board and they've looked at guys like Justin Hollins, Ben Benogu, uh, Reggie McKenzie was at Deandre Walker's pro day. Um, uh, Terrell Hanks came in for a 30 visit, as did July, uh, Jelani Tavai from Hawaii. It makes me kind of wonder if they're simply just using Kiko Alonso, They're keeping him on the roster now until they know they've got an alternative option. So I'll be interested to see if, if they can secure someone during the draft, if that you know prompts them to try and trade Kiko, or maybe he's a, a June 1st cut or something like that. Um, but otherwise, I would hang on to him right now and just – See what you can kind of milk out of them.
1: I think that probably holds true for several guys in the roster, with Akeem Spence, maybe even Rashad Jones, and TJ McDonald on the back end there. And speaking of those guys on the back end, we're going to get into the rest of Kevin Dern's preview of the Dolphins defensive draft here next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. It's at Winkle NFL. The show is at Lockdown Fins, and you can find Kevin at KevinMD4.
2: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: You guys hear me pumping up LockedOnDolphins.com all the time. And I do truly believe that it is the best source for all your daily Dolphins need when it comes to written content. And a big part of that is some of the guest writers or other staff writers we have. And Kevin, of course, is one of those guys who I wish you had more time to write, Kev. I understand that you don't. But he produces fantastic content for us all the time. And right now he has both of his draft preview pieces up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Checking out the linebackers, or excuse me, the front seven rather, and the defensive backfield. And we're going to go ahead and start there with the front seven and talk about this group of players that I think you and I, Kev, have some similar draft crushes. Not entirely linear, but we mostly agree. I've talked about Justin Hollins on the show a little bit. You mentioned him in the first segment, but why don't you go ahead and kick things off here with the guy that I assume I think you're going to pick as your favorite day two option on the defensive line.
0: Yeah, uh, that would be LJ Collier. Yes, it Out is. Of <laughs> yeah. I think you knew that one was coming.
1: Yeah, exactly did.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he's, he's fantastic, I think. And uh, he really fits a lot of what you know, the Patriots defense was doing last year and he's almost kind of, I was trying to think how you would compare him to one of the Patriots players. And I really think he can kind of encompass some of the roles that they gave to Trey flowers, uh, Dietrich wise and Adrian Claiborne. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, not the the longest guy in the world. He's six, two, but I think he's got 34 inch arms and you know, really the, if you're going to knock him for things it's it's his quickness off the ball he is you know the polar opposite of Cam Wake in terms of his first step <laughs> um and he doesn't you know he's not that fast but i think that's something that the patriots have really kind of just pushed by the wayside they look more at explosion his ability to set the edge uh if you go into the draft piece one of the clips i found he basically takes the right tackle from Texas with one arm and sets the edge and is able to make a tackle for loss against the run. Um, his strength and his his ability to to kind of play anywhere from a three technique out wide to a stand up nine is, is something I really think that's going to you know draw the attention of the Dolphins coaches. And I do know he's he's taken a thirty visit down there uh, to the facility in Davy. So I'm hopeful he he ends up in the uh, aqua and orange.
1: And you look at the way the Patriots defensive line has been constructed and, and just the build and the measurements, like you mentioned, of those players like a Trey Flowers, for instance, or Michael Bennett, whoever it is, they don't seem to put an emphasis on the elite athletic traits when it comes to 40 time or whatever you want to put in that box in terms of judging players from their athletic measurements. So LJ Collier, I suppose, because of that lack of get off does have a better fit and could be higher valued in Miami because of that very idea. Now the question I have for you, Kevin is, is he, is he in play at pick 48? Because I think I heard Daniel Jeremiah who I reference on the podcast pretty much every single day at this point. I think that Jeremiah said he was a top 40 player. Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I agree with it. I think I actually saw on the NFL network scroll that, uh, I might be one rankings list behind, but I think Daniel Jeremiah had him at 45. Perfect. Um, for me, you know, even if they traded up, here you know, let's say they do trade back, um, I don't know if I would take him at the end of the first round, but say they made a trade for Indy and got that real early second round pick they got, that might be a little bit you know, of a reach in terms of, of overall big board value, but I think the value that he provides to the Dolphins' defense and what they're looking to do, I'd be more than fine with that. Um, and maybe that's just me being a little too bullish on him, but... I really like him. And, uh, you know, even if some team snuck into the back end of round one, it wouldn't totally surprise me.
1: Well, if you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. Let's go ahead and move on to your second favorite player on this list. Who is it?
0: Uh, that was Charles of I know he's a guy that you and I have talked about a lot. Um, I remember watching him, I guess that was the sugar bowl against Georgia. Was that right? Sugar bowl. Yeah. I can't remember they, whenever they, they played Georgia them. and he really just jumped off the page. Um, I think at that point we hadn't hired Brian Flores yet. Saying so, I know there were some rumors that Miami were, were had been talking to Dennis Allen, and you know he kind of fits that that mold that I thought that the Saints' defense was you know going to use. And if that had come to Miami, you know he would have been a guy I would have at the top of the list. Watching a lot of him, he does a lot of different things. Um, he's longer. He's six five. He's got even longer arms than Collier. He's actually slower than Collier in terms of the forty yard dash from their combine times, but he can line up out wide, he can line up over the guard, over the tackle, and he just makes plays. You know, it doesn't always look pretty, but he's productive. And, you know, I think that's something that the Patriots value more so than, you know, a guy who looks like Dion Jordan who can run a four five at, you know, six six and two eighty.
1: I even thought that, you know, for as hard as this to do, he looks pretty good against Kyler Murray in the Oklahoma offense, and not many guys can say that with a defensive tape. Let's go ahead and get to the rest of your defensive line prospects. Maybe a little bit more of a, a rapid fire here, Kev.
0: Yeah. So uh Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame was one of the guys I had on the list. Um I actually saw him live uh in South Bend against Stanford. I think he had three or four yeah, sacks. Yeah, that
1: was his big game. That's right.
0: Yeah. Um, so I was there to see that. I think he's a guy that you could play as a defensive end or as a defensive tackle. He kind of reminds me of Lawrence Guy a little bit, just not quite as big. Um, kind of in that same vein, if you're looking for a guy like that, Armon Watts out of Arkansas um, really had a strong season. Um, he didn't really play much at all in 2016 or 2017, but this past year he got seven sacks and eight and a half tackles for loss. And he's someone I could see the the Dolphins defensive coaches looking at and thinking about Adam Butler, who is kind of the third defensive tackle for the Patriots. Um, and then I think after that we went with Jordan Brailford, who was a defensive end for Oklahoma state. Um, but he was very interesting. He was actually only 241 pounds at the East West shrine game, which is where I really first noticed him and going back and watching his tape, uh, with the the Oklahoma State Cowboys, he actually played some middle linebacker for him as well as uh, playing some stand-up outside linebacker. And he's pretty athletic, pretty quick. Doesn't use his hands as much as I would like. Um, And I think that's something that maybe Miami will ding him for. But if they really are looking for that type of Kyle Van Noy player, um, he could be a fit there. Um, Along the defensive line, we kind of talked about Justin Hollins. I think he is more of a true 3-4 outside linebacker. At least he was in college. But uh, he compared very favorably to Anthony Barr. I know you talked about that on the podcast uh, earlier this week. Um, I think he's come down to Miami for a 30 visit. He's a guy that I really liked. He's explosive. He's fast. I think he needs to bulk up a little bit to do some of the things that, you know, uh, Kyle Noy and Dante Hightower do uh, if Miami's going to use him in that role. And then uh, the last guy in the piece was actually an inside linebacker, and this was more kind of in the the line. If they if they do end up moving on from Kiko Alonso, uh, Tavon Coney is another guy. He's local. He's from Palm Beach Gardens. uh, That I think Miami will really like. Just a guy who you know he doesn't test well. He's not super big, but he's very very productive. He just gets things done and. You know, Bill Belichick's moniker is "Do your job," and, and Tay Coney's is always doing that. So, you know, he's he's the last guy I had in the front seven piece.
1: So, before we go to break here and turn things over to the defensive secondary, I want to ask you because I think a lot of people have a tough time differentiating what is a defensive line prospect and what's a linebacker prospect in this new defense that, like you mentioned, is an adjusted three-four. That really, I think, three-four and four-three could be the two fronts. They use the least when you consider four twos or even a three three or whatever the options are, this defense is going to be very fluid. So, how would you best describe what the Dolphins look for as an edge prospect compared to a guy who might convert to linebacker like a Justin Brelford or a Jordan Brelford or a Justin Hollins or whoever it might be?
0: Um, well, I guess to tackle the, the defensive part of it first, uh, kind of the rule of thumb that I picked up when watching the Patriots was. Pretty much every formation they run is going to be a 4 2 5 look. Um, you know, against 12 and 21 personnel, they're often going to have three safeties out there instead of a nickel corner. Uh, even in their 3 3 5 looks, they usually had Kyle Van Noy or John Simon come up and basically play as a stand up defensive end. So if you looked at it from above, it still looks like a 4 2 5. So I think that's the front we're going to see the most this year, uh, just based off of what I've studied. In terms of what they look for, uh, I think Patrick Graham said it earlier this season. It was the ability to to play with heavy hands, good hand usage, good leverage, and be able to have eye control. So I don't think you necessarily are going to go out and look for that guy like a Cameron Wake that's going to you know, go 95 miles an hour off the edge after the quarterback. I think you're more looking at guys who are – you know, smart, can read and react, can two-gap, can split double teams as far as being, you know, edge defenders, defensive ends. As far as the linebackers go, I think on the outside, they're going to want guys who can play almost like a 3-4 strong side linebacker that can set the edge against the tight end, that can cover, that can use their hands, that can also rush. But in addition to that, they want someone who can play off the ball and sort of be like that second middle linebacker in a, a 4-2-5 look. And if you really watch Kyle Van Noy, he, he is all over the place uh, in that defense, and it's going to be hard to replicate somebody like that uh, just based on this year's draft class. I think Anthony Jennings would have been the best one, but he opted to stay at Alabama for his final season. So Miami might end up with one or two guys that they, they kind of split that role over, uh, depending on who they get in the draft.
1: And they've certainly taken some cracks at it with both J-Ron Elliott and Tyrone Holmes of the AAF. But coming up on the other side of the podcast here, we're gonna finish this thing up talking about cornerbacks and safeties, really the premier positions in this defense. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked Fins. and you can find Kevin at KevinMD4.
2: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
1: We try to teach you something on the podcast here every single day. And who better to have talk about defensive schematics and Dolphins players of needs or positions of needs rather on the defensive side of the football than Kevin Dern. And that's what we're talking about here on today's podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And we got to start here, Kevin, with the defensive backfield because you and I, I think, mostly agree that Minka Fitzpatrick could be the catalyst of this defense but they can't stop there with Fitzpatrick, Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain, because I don't know if you run into this, Kevin, but I have had to deal with it for two years now. And last year, I implored the team to really think about Derwin James or Mika Fitzpatrick. Of course, the Dolphins wind up with the latter, but this team needs safeties and now more than ever, as we consider the fact that this position really is the driver of the defense, let's go ahead and start there and talk about the safeties from this class in your piece up on LockdownDolphins.com that you're that you're interested in looking at for the Dolphins.
0: Yeah, um, I think they're definitely going to look at, at adding a, a safety who can play the middle of the field, which is to say like an Earl Thomas type of free safety. I also think they're going to want someone who can – play as a split safety. Um, given that they have Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald, and there's some contractual things with those guys, as much as I love Jonathan Abram, he's my top safety in this class, I don't know if he's going to be a player Miami's going to you know want to take this year. Uh, so with that in mind, I think you're looking more at some free safety types. Um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who I know is a guy that you really like, he's my top one. Um, Just because he's got some experience playing in the box, in the slot, and in the middle of the field, which is kind of similar to what Minka Fitzpatrick can can provide to you. Um, And I think really if they do end up having to rely on one of the two between Jones and McDonald, it's that ability to play middle of the field that's going to unlock this defense and really unlock Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, The next guy that I, I, I talked about was Amani Hooker from Iowa. He's kind of the same type of player as Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, just not as athletic. Um, you know, coming from the Big Ten, you've got to be able to buck up and play the run, and there's some pretty good examples of him doing that. Um, and then the third safety that I, I looked at is actually a hometown guy uh, here f- uh, from Cincinnati, uh, Mike Edwards of the University of Kentucky. He is more of a nickel safety Um he might be a guy that you would play a lot more in the slot in some of those DB heavy packages, but uh, there's some reps of him covering back deep as well uh, that you'll see in the piece. Um, You know, any of those three guys, I think, you know, Miami would take a, take a flyer on. And I do know that they've looked at uh, Juan Thornhill and Mike Edwards. Um, Thornhill would be another guy that I actually didn't write about him for this piece, but I know they like, I like him as well. Um, So I'm hopeful they're able to add something, Um, but just with the number of holes they have in the front seven, especially on the defensive line, um, unless they trade back and acquire a boatload of picks, I have a hard time seeing them draft multiple DBs early on. Um, So I think they will be, you know, I think they'll have to be selective with who they go after.
1: I'm such a sucker for safety play, man. I, I love watching the guys that have that range and the ball skills and really make things happen on the back end for the defense. And then there's the cornerback position, and I haven't really seen it yet, so maybe you do have some corners on this list. But here's my thought, Kev, and then I'll turn it back over to you. Unless you find a guy that you think is a surefire number 2 cornerback who can start right away opposite Xavier and Howard and really help the team by offsetting the cost of that contract coming down the line for Howard... Otherwise, why bother at the position? Because we've got four guys behind a dude who is a one year prove it player in Eric Rowe. And frankly, I think he can play. He's just never healthy. But between Jalen Davis, Torrey McIntyre, Cordrea Tankersley, and Cornell Armstrong, aren't we just better off letting those guys compete in what is a year that wins don't really matter?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, again, you know, unless they trade back multiple times and pick up a whole slew of picks it's just hard for me to see them, you know, really addressing that position and then i've actually been tracking the prospects they've met with and you know you can stack up the board horizontally and the one position where they seem to have at least two or three guys in every single round is cornerback and i almost wonder if they're treating it like a best player available type scenario this year where you know if one of their guys that they're looking for isn't there oh, hey, let's go check and see what's left on the cornerback table. You know, we've got that whole pile of guys that they're looking at. The interesting thing to me with the corners is that they've talked to some of the top guys, DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy, Rocky Sin, Julian Love, Trayvon Mullen. Those were the top six that they've met with that I know of. The only one they've really brought in and done any extra work on is Trayvon Mullen. And he's probably a a second or third round guy in my estimation. So I do think it's going to be kind of a, a best player available type thing. Um, So I agree. I I think they'll let the the competition play out with, Row and especially Tankersley if he comes back healthy.
1: And they do have a penchant for finding undrafted free agents, at least under Josh Boyer, who is now in Miami previously with the Patriots. So maybe they go that route too. I don't know. Those visit lists are always super interesting to me. We have them up on Lockedondolphins.com. Kevin actually helped us compile some of those lists so you guys can check that out as well. And I think that's about it. Kev, you got anything else you want to close with here?
0: No, nah, all good. Looking forward to uh, writing more here in the future.
1: And we'll have to get you on post draft to talk about some of these players as well. He is Kevin Dern. You can find his work on LockedOnDolphins.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at KevinMD4. Kevin, thanks again, my man. And until next time, say good night, Kevin. Good night, Kevin. And there he goes. I love having Kevin on the podcast because I always learn something from him. Really good information and detail to that information there as well. But as for today's podcast, guys, that is going to be my time. If you have a smart speaker, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say, play Locked on Dolphins podcast to pull up your daily dose right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at LinkedIn NFL. Follow the show at Locked Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.